episode of A Gamer's Guide to Productivity. I'm your host, Nico Pengen. Today's journey takes us into a dynamic world of gaming and literature. And before we dive into the main guest and only guest, a quick reminder to hit that like, hit that subscribe, follow us on your favorite podcast platform once this goes live. And if you're on YouTube, make sure to like and comment there as well. That way you never miss out on any of the latest tips, tricks, and interviews from this gaming universe. Now, let's turn our attention to a guest whose multifaceted journey spans the realms of gaming, writing, directing, and many, many more, and he will disclose the rest to us later on. He's not just an author, but also a seasoned gamer, bringing a unique perspective from both worlds. So please join us in introducing none other than Richard Sparks, a wordsmith, gamer, and director extraordinaire who also has an extraordinary vocabulary, might I add. So buckle up as we embark on a captivating adventure through these pixels and through the audio. So thank you so much for joining us today, Richard. Well, thank you for having me, Nico. And I want everybody to know from which part of the world are you reaching us from? I'm in London now. I was actually born in London, um, raised in a village in the west of England, uh, small town, small town boy. You know, uh, Went up to I went to Oxford University and that's where oh. I first started writing uh, comedy stuff for people. Some some of my contemporaries have gone on to have very successful careers as actors, uh, comedy performers, producers, directors, and so on. Um, and then I just kept writing ever since. Hmm. Um, sometimes you have to write crap for money, and sometimes you're lucky enough to um, have a really great a great run with a nice piece of work that everybody loves to be involved in so it's been a, it's been a it's been a bumpy but a very interesting ride and i'm very lucky to have had the opportunities i've had now i don't want you in california by the way so i'm just up here for the book the launch of the book now i don't want to i don't want to pull you apart from two different worlds but if you could just give me a one sentence description of your preference between playing video games and creating art and stories which one would you prefer over the other? If you'd asked me that question five years ago, before I started writing this series, I'd have said, I'm kind of done with writing. I mean, I love oh, it. I oh. never stop. But I just really, I'd rather just get back into whatever game I'm playing. I've just <laughs> gone down the rabbit hole in so many of the great games, whether they're my particular favorites are the sword and sorcery titles in mm. Magical Worlds. But I also love the outer space games. Things like Mass Effect 2 and 3 were great. Hmm. I think they they didn't land the ending particularly well, but right. that quite often happens with you know Game of Thrones TV series didn't get the ending particularly well. Agreed. Uh, <laughs> endings are hard. Uh, yes. You've got to think of your ending before you do anything else. As soon as you've had an idea, figure out where it's going to land. Hmm. It's not necessarily the end of the plot, but where it lands, and then you can work backwards from that. Very very important for people to work out their endings first. You don't have to work out the rest. You can do your you can do your storyline as you go along, your, your synopsis, but figure out the ending because there's no point in starting off writing a great idea if, if you're just going to be at the same place that the, write, the, the reader is. You've got to be ahead of them, even if you don't know what's happening in the 400 pages before you get there. Right. Makes sense. But since I, this idea for this book just fell out of the sky and it hit me, I, it's like Wiley e. Coyote. I mean, it's just this anvil landed on my head and I thought, that, that's it at last. Mm -hmm. After all these years, I mean, I'd, I had tried to write fiction before, written some things that were okay, but I've got to tell you, I'm so glad none of them were published. 
<laughs> anyone else could have written them they were okay my agents were happy to send them out to get me right see if we could get started as a published author mm -hmm. but nothing like this this is the real thing and um it would you know that's all part of the learning curve right very important to make your uh, mistakes and you learn from your failures but now i just don't have the time to play i wish i did i i kind of miss it i miss one of the guilds i was playing running is with in one game, and this is a PvP game. Mm -hmm. You know, you're 24 of you blundering around, getting up to mischief. People all over the world. <laughs> we had drunk Fridays where <laughs> somebody, I'd just be weeping with laughter. You know, it'd be 10 o'clock on a Friday, a Friday night in California, and other people, it'd be six in the morning to them. And we had a really crazy woman who, who led us. She was just great. And she had a wicked sense of humor. And by the end of the night, we're getting wiped more times than we win. <laughs> yeah. But the companionship, the fun, it's just extraordinary. But now I don't have the time because I'm the, the books were inspired by my love of gaming. But if I was to say to you, I'm now writing my own game, that would be a misleading because it's not role-playing fiction. Mm. It just came out of these amazing worlds that the developers have, have built for us, the beautiful pictures, the landscapes the mythology and i just thought what would it really be like to be this guy this heroic young battle mage that i was running as my main my main avatar my main would you call them as gamers what would it really be like to be in a real world like this as that guy well there was only one way to find out wasn't there mm -hmm. right right and since then i've been writing it i've written four books in the series i'm on the fifth now and i just hope i can keep going until i well, until I drop, I hope I never run out of, of material because I've got my own world now. Nobody right. else has this place. Um, very, very lucky. Now, were there any specific games um, or genres that you would say uh, that influenced the approach to storytelling in your writing and directing? No, no. Look, the weakness with every game is the storytelling. And I'm not saying that to disrespect my fellow writers because there's, a, I mean, there's the Writers Guild of Great Britain next week is where I, I'm a member. They're having a, a symposium about game writing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a skill. It's a, a distinct genre of writing, but it is limited. It's limited in a way that script writing isn't limited and in the way that narrative writing isn't limited because every quest is written in advance. Even if you make different choices, you're still going to end up at one of several places you could end up. Right. The, the open world games that you wander around in seem limitless they are they're just amazing you can you can go and spend hours in them just building a house or talking to your friends you don't have to do combat if you don't want right you know you can go and sit down and talk to a unicorn it depends on the game <laughs> but but the the quests in the end boil we all know this the quests boil down to there are only two quests whether it's in outer space whether it's in yakuza japan or steampunk london or some sword and sorcery middle ages there are only two quests kill and fedex go and kill something go and fetch something right so however it's it's glossed and dollied up and made beautiful by the writers and the developers and the designers after a bit it gets to the point we go i'm just doing the same thing again in the in the world of narrative writing you're not bound mm -hmm. by that because you're 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 using a tradition that's been around for thousands of years and basically my books part of the the enjoyment in writing them i hope in reading them is 
you're going, what the F is the quest quest? Right. What, what's going on here? Our hero is, you know, he's baffled. He's, 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 he's these riddles and these mysterious poems and these things crop up and these, you know, you can't write that in a video game. It just simply isn't a form in which that works. In narrative fiction, the audience is completely used to this. To, like, think of um, a whodunit. Mm -hmm. You just follow along behind the detective, trying to figure out what he's seen. You know, and you're, you're three steps behind Sherlock Holmes, but at the end you go, oh, oh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, you got Makes that. Sense. So you can do this in narrative writing, and people, if, you, if I'm stuck in a game and I can't figure out how to open the door or sort the puzzle out, I'll just Google the answer if I get bored. But you, you can't do that with a book. No, you can't. You know, I mean, many purists will never Google an answer, and good for them. But sometimes you only have an hour to play, and you want to get through to the other side to see what get the thing you need or whatever. Exactly. Oh, but narrative is a it's a far bigger canvas, not visually, because visually you've got these extraordinary designers working on your. But all of I've talked to several people, and they're sons of my generation, daughters of my generation, who are. Uh, 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 video game designers mm -hmm. and they all say we need this the, the writers themselves say this we need we all need all the help we can get with the writing that's where mm -hmm. it's the weakest point in the game mm. and, and i feel really um you know i'm in awe of the writers who attempt it because they do a very good job within within just like the the, the most tight and restricted part of this incredible incredible new art form Hmm. That's actually pretty interesting. Now, are you pitching yourself as a video game storyteller? Or? No, no, no. It's not. Look, this, the, the idea is very, very simple. What's it like to be that guy? So I have three people, one of whom is basically a sort of version of me or my father. He's a retired school teacher living all alone, a widower, living in his bungalow in the, on the edge of a little village in a small town in England. And he's discovered this new life and this new ability as an online gamer and he's got friends all over the world he's a bit of a recluse in real life and so he's indoors all the time he can get gaming and he is he's a battle mage healer and basically the leader of this group of three people his his best friend is a, an australian orc and his other best friend is an asian american dual wielding sword dancer and the three of them are just uh, they turn out to be unstoppable. They're the great team. They win the, quote, world championship of sword and sorcery live mm -hmm. online with 30 or 40 million people watching them the way they watch Fortnite live online, that championship. Yeah. And they win it. To their, and then the next thing he knows, he's going down some weird rabbit hole and ends up in a, in a wilderness with a crappy sword and a cheap shield and scuffed boots these a place he's never seen before for real and he's his own avatar hmm. and he goes what the hell and in order to find out what's happened and why which is all explained at the end of the book he has to survive and he can hear wolves chasing him so and the first thing he does is basically a gamer would say he levels down things get hmm. worse you know it just goes from from shit to shinola and back again and then he has to train and get better and the, the the main quest, as it were, doesn't reveal itself uh, uh, until about a third or a quarter of the way through the book. 
But mm. so, you know, whenever you do a new game, what's what do you do? You you have to learn the controls where you yeah. are. I What's always look at the tutorials and, and what buttons do what. That's what I do. I spend 30 minutes just doing that. Exactly. You build your, you build your tune, your avatar. You learn the controls. And it, and it, they're all different in every game. And then the second thing you do, training sequence. Yeah. Right? So we have a training sequence where he, the guy's captured and he's sold off, taken off to, to be sold as an outlaw. And he ends up in an army and he's trained by this fearsome sergeant at arms called sergeant jack blunt who's known to one and all as sergeant bastard who's completely you, know, you can't get near him with any weapon but right. he's the best teacher you could possibly have and then they go off to war so the third stage in any game is the first taste of combat and then after that the quest merges out of the the, the combat and and then i won't go on any further with spoilers but um it, it so it grows in in a organically in the way that a gamer would understand it grows mm -hmm. out of the gaming conceptions but it's a real guy in a real world who's really his own avatar and there's no going back wow that's actually pretty intriguing now it, was it a it, fun concept i mean imagine getting that idea i felt so lucky when i got it I feel like you're you're still in that world, like you're you're, oh, man. you're, you're still living in in, in, in Listen, there. I, I finished the book in two months, 160, 170,000 words, and then um, of course it's been a massive, yeah, just a burst by a massive amount of editing. I've, I've worked with three editors, including uh, the executive editor at Kasich, our publisher, called Leslie Robin. She's brilliant, and um, editing. You know, I've done a lot of script editing. Is where you get the gold mm -hmm. so in those years i've also written the three sequels i'm now writing the fifth i can't get enough of it and the, the only problem is it leaves me no time to play games so ah well <laughs> no no that that makes me think um <clears throat> just to to steer it to this one question do you feel like there is any particular life skills or lessons that you've gained from playing video games that you've applied to real life uh, yeah, I would absolutely unquestionably, but it's not, you don't need to limit it to being video games. Mm. Children learn through play. I mean, it starts at age zero. You're learning through play, you're learning through games. What do, what do um, uh, generals in armies do? They do war games, they do complicated war games. Sports are games, are strategies that we watch, that we uh, uh, participate in. And, you know, sitting in the classroom learning is one thing. But when you're taken out by your school to go and watch a game or to go and watch theater or something, yeah, that's that's when you do a lot more learning than people realize. Hmm. Gaming, video game, well, it, 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 it's all part of that tradition of games. And um, I, I think, yes, I think I, I mean, obviously I, I couldn't have written these books without those designers who've given us these amazing games. And I'm so grateful to them. That opened my eyes to uh, to where I am now. So um, particular lessons, no, but in general, I owe them everything. Hmm. Now, would you say that because video games is the simulation for those real life situations that you essentially constructed a simulated world with words that almost is similar to games, which oh, we- Wow. Would you say that that's what you did with that, that you created? Oh, I, think, I think that's a brilliant analysis, Nico. I've cr a simulated world 
created with words. I mean, that's what every writer of fiction does. And that's what the video designers do with simulated world created with pixels. Hmm. And, you know, you look at the, the great work. The first great work in the English language is Beowulf. Love it's, it. it's, it's, un, it's unreadable now unless you uh, have studied Anglo-Saxon. But, I mean, you can read it in Seamus Haney's translation. It's a hmm. fantasy. It's got a dragon. It's got a, gold, a hoard of gold. It's got a monster who invades them, kills all the warriors. And then the hero comes and dives down to the bottom of the lake and kills its mother. And that's that's not realism. Right. <laughs> look at the Arabian Nights. Look at the Ramayana. Look at all the myths from all the continents, China, Africa, India, the, the, um, the New World. The myths. I mean, all religions, with respect to people, um, I'm not trying to insult religions at all, but they're all stories. They're legends. Right. We tell each other. Which they could all be completely perfectly true. I, I, I wouldn't know. But... They are all the, the Norse gods and heroes are legends, myths, hmm. and they're tremendously exciting compared with dull old reality. Hmm, that's actually pretty intriguing. So you essentially created this world. Now, I want to know, where did inspiration come from that enabled you to take two months to write so much? It had to be some catalytic some big event that that transpired for you to write so much in such a short span of time yeah you know all my life i've wanted to know where inspiration comes from and when you're a when you're a school kid in your primary school you're allowed to ask you please sir where did shakespeare get his inspiration and they'll try and talk to you a bit about it but <laughs> never get any serious answers when you get to university to study english which i which i did i just in, in Britain, you just do one subject. You don't, not an English major, I just did English language and literature. Mm. At that level, you're meant to have grown out of questions like that. You're not meant to ask about inspiration. You're meant to talk about, um, you know, you're meant to do deep reading and analysis, right. which is fun. But luckily, I had a tutor, Jonathan Wordsworth, uh, who's brilliant. And we just sat around talking about writing all the time. How did he do that? Where did that idea come? How did Jane Austen write? Pride and Prejudice, which is, we all know, the greatest book ever written. <laughs> how did she, how is, it, how is it such a perfect piece of work come about? And the reason that academics in the literary uh, um, critis, critical world don't talk about it is because they don't know. They're not artists. They're, they're literary critics. And they're, the education they give us is fantastic and helpful, but they don't teach you anything about writing from the inside. They just tell you the results and they make, they bring those, they illuminate and explore those results. But inspiration is a, a, the, the two things, the two words that I always come back to in this is inspiration and enthusiasm. Mm. And they're both related oddly because inspiration does, you know, when you expire, you die, you breathe out, ah, expire. Right. You say, so you think inspiration means ah, you breathe it in. No, it comes from the Latin word in, which into, and spiro, which means I breathe. Inspiration is the god or the muse breathing into your ear. Mm. So it comes from outside, somewhere. You don't know. And enthusiasm is Greek. doesn't mean the same thing, but en, into, theos, god. Enthusiasm is the god coming into you. To oh, give wow. you so they are. They're similarly related. And they're two words that are just my 
kind of touchstones in life. Uh, and the inspiration, I, I know where inspiration comes from, but I can't really define it. It's, oh, that, yeah, I recognize it now. Oh, thank goodness. Yes, I'll take that. Um, but it, you can't really um, uh, pin it Quantify, down. Right? Yeah. You know, it, it, because if you could, it, it's like trying to nail jelly to a wall. You can't. Really... <laughs> <laughs> That's a great analogy. Yeah. But when it hits, you go, oh, wow, man, thanks. I'll, yeah, I'll take that. That's why you should always have a notebook by your bed, because if you wake up in the middle of the night, and you don't write it down. You wake up in the morning and think, oh, that was good, wasn't it? I wonder what it was. <laughs> and the yeah, story of my life. <laughs> and the idea teases you and said it was good, wasn't it? You should have written yeah, it down, you idiot. Yeah. Why didn't you write it down? Oh, well, you'd have liked this. You could have written an entire book about this, but right. you didn't. So you've got to be ready to grab it when it comes. But it wow. comes from outside. It comes from the God, the muse breathing into your ear. I was yeah. thrilled when I heard that. I go, oh, yeah. Ah, that kind of makes sense in a weird, odd way. <laughs> now, do you always walk with a writing utensil and a writing? Yeah, uh, always. Here's notebook, notebook, pen. Always, always in the pocket. Pint of beer, but only at night. <laughs> no, now, as somebody who who is involved in many things, how do you balance uh, your roles as a writer, uh, I heard, you know, you're lyricist, you write comedy as well, and you play from time to time. So do you do this all at the same time? Do you rotate like, well, in this month, I'm going to do this one thing? Or is that just something that you did previously that is something that's on your resume? Or how do you balance that if you do that all at once? Uh, again, the answer is a little bit fluid. Sometimes you find yourself doing two or three jobs at once. Uh, uh, it, it's really, yeah, it's not ideal. Um, I like to be writing one thing at a time. Recently, I've had a TV series that I put together a few years ago, uh, come out of the grave and um, producers and people want to do that. So I had to do um, a, a certain amount of rewriting and editing and write a new pilot script while also on the new rock books. And that was okay because they were needed. They really wanted it. They were, you know, I knew but usually I just like to concentrate on one thing if I can. Um, how do you balance it? You just do the things, you know, the only thing that matters is doing good work. Mm. And I, my attitude is I love work. I just love it. Uh, um, and I'll tell you about a friend of mine who's published about 80 million novels. I think she's, she's sold. But um, I only want to do what I want to do because I love it. Right. So, for example, I like cooking. I actually like doing the dishes after dinner. I cook for my wife and me. She goes to bed early. I start writing. Or before I started writing these books, sitting down and getting into a you know, six-hour game-playing session. Hey. <laughs> Which I just adore. Um, but um, I don't like toil. I can't do it. I'm not interested in doing the gardening. And you know, mm. my friends of mine love gardening, and I'm happy to sit out there. And that's their bliss. I'm not interested in changing fuses and in or um you know, patchworking the paint I and mean, just doesn't interest me and if i'm not interested i'm not going to do a good job if right. i even get around to it but if i love something i just throw my entire life into writing hmm. now, the person i was going to talk about is uh, someone I'm, I'm lucky enough to call a colleague as well as a friend and that i've worked with her is isabel Allende, who's um 
just a, a brilliant writer and sold, I think, 60, 70, 80 million books. She's in her 80s now, and she gets up every morning when she's in a book. She always starts her books in January and writes until they're finished. She gets up every morning at 6 o'clock, puts on her makeup, gets properly dressed, and starts writing at 6.30. Wow. And she was interviewed a year or so ago, and someone said, well, why, do you, why are you still doing this? She said, because I love it. I love writing. And f from a great writer like her, that is a, 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 a definitely, that's a message to us all. You know, if, if you love it, give it all the, everything you've got. And if you don't love it, well, bugger off and do something else. Uh, you, you have to love it. Now, before I ask the next question, I do want everybody that listens, where can they go to find more about you, more of your material, the books that are coming out, as well as the ones that have already came out so that way they can support you um well this is my first published fiction book i've written some non-fiction before um, a dozen years ago or so the book is called new rock new role r-o-l-e get it right you know a, pl a planet is a rock like third rock from the sun and we play role-playing games so new rock new role kind of fits have you seen the cover by the way yes yes what? i actually used the cover for the thumbnail and i love uh, the alliteration too uh, uh oh thanks but she's a brilliant artist christina she's a norwegian artist who lives in in glasgow in scotland and she's uh, she just sent me yesterday the cover for the second book which is Ooh. super cool and she's great she does a lot of work for like marvel studios now uh and um uh, what, how, how do i get on with that the question of well yeah um the website is richardsparks.com uh which s-p-a-r-k-s not there's no e in it and that's now completely devoted to new rock and new roll. Um, I've written four, as I've said, those are all backed up for the editor and me to work on. They'll be coming out once a year from now on. Uh, I'm currently floundering around in the fifth, trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> um, so please, there's, I, I think I've got an Instagram page, but I can't remember what it's called. And uh, Also, if you go to richardsparks.com you can get a free chapter to check it out see if you like it um it's quite, it's quite a funny one uh, and then the free audio sample with me reading basically an elision of um chapters 10 and 11 that's that's got some daftness in it as well um so check it out and if you like it um you know you'll, you'll have had a taste of the work now back to asking how did you envision yourself when you were younger? Did you envision that you would ever become a writer? Oh, I know yeah. you mentioned that you went to Oxford, but before that, when you were in high school and middle school, did you see yourself writing as a, yeah. as a career path? Absolutely. From eight to six, I was just writing something for another, for another blog interview website thing. They asked me to fill in the questionnaire. And I remembered my first book, which was a graphic novel. Most of the heavy lifting was done by my friend Hugh Christie. We were both six, I think. So he did, he did the picture. He did the oh, picture. Oh, snap! Wow! You know, just calm down. <laughs> he did these beautiful pictures, and I did the speech bubbles. Ah. It, was, it was the adventures. I, mean, I think it might have been nearly two pages long. Wow! <laughs> so it was, it was the the adventures of um, a heroic gunslinging rabbit. And it was called Bunny Goes West. <laughs> Love the title. All I remember was the villain had a moustache and was called Hank. 
as all British kids thought all Americans were. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, that was just, I just loved it. And, and I loved the classes at school when they've, you had to do descriptions or write a poem or, or whatever, anything that all really floated my boat. And so many teachers were, um, you know, they just loved teach, getting their kids to express themselves. And it's really important that children are encouraged to listen to stories, to read stories together in class, mm. read books and listen to books and enjoy it because uh, that way lies that way lies the future. And then when I got to university, as I said, I started doing comedy shows. And, you know, a bit like over in America it would be what sort of you know the Harvard Hasty Pudding is it called or. Um, Second city for us, you know, young, young, young people who are keen on making people laugh, uh, and that one thing led to another, um, and that's a good lesson in life: is to use everybody. You know, people ask you to do things, and you go along to meetings, and then suddenly you're 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 in a play, or right. writing it or something. Uh, and m many writers, particularly me, we just like to sit around and write, but you've got to get out there and. Um, I was lucky enough to marry a, a New Yorker who is very good at working the room. Mm. I learned from her, don't be so English. You know, get, get, get up your hands. Uh, go and talk to somebody. You know, one of the most memorable moments of my life mm. was at a party here in London about, God, a quarter of a century ago, I think. And friends of ours who knew sort of um, more, more, you know, like notable people. Mm -hmm. We went to a party and towards the end of it, it was an afternoon sort of evening thing in the summer. And towards the end of it, when there were only about 20 or 30 people left in the room, I heard this voice beside, beside me saying, hello, I'm Julie. And I looked and it was Julie Christie. And you go, oh, yes, you are, aren't you? So I chatted with her very nicely and she's fascinating and delightful. And I've been in love with her since I was 17. And... Um, then she walks oh, wow. off and talks to the next person. Hello, I'm Julie. Now, if Julie Christie, who's won like God knows how many Oscars and awards, can go around the room and talk to people, well, so can you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you never yeah. know who you, you might bump into that way, rather than sitting up being a wallflower. <laughs> now, do you prefer um, the concept of doing your... Uh, public relations run as a writer to get the book out there to the masses or do you just truly enjoy creating the work of art that lives within your brain Ooh. yeah it's it's um i think there's something about my you know still from my english background there's something about you don't want to draw attention to yourself you're not meant to to, to show off you're not meant to boast but mm. you have to sell your work and um I want the publisher to be well, relieved that he published me rather than, you know, pissed off he's taken on a, a writer who whose work didn't didn't work out as a financial uh, win for him. So my duty is to get out there and spread the word. Uh, and it, it, it so happens that I'm just completely in love with the work, the stories. And I trying not to say that in a boastful way and to make, you know, I, I just have written something that I love. And I've, right. before I tried to write fiction, I would write the sort of books I didn't want to read. 
and read the sort of books I didn't want to write. It was a really dysfunctional <laughs> and I, I, I'm, I failed. I mean, I write, I completed the books because I'm quite stubborn mm -hmm. and they're all sitting in bottom drawers everywhere and they didn't deserve to see the light of day, but I learned a lot. But it's important to, uh, to admit and acknowledge and realize that I failed, writers failed, I gave up. I, because, why? Because I wasn't writing what I loved. And I didn't know mm. what to write. With New Rock, New Roll, this is what I'm meant to be writing. This is it. I, I, you know, to find my bliss as a, as a writer, you know, I'll, I'll go to my grave going, oh, I didn't, I didn't waste the gifts I was given. And uh, I hope other people, of course, will in, enjoy them too, but that's up to them. <laughs> Right, and, and so coming in the water's fine, but keep an eye out for the kraken. What can I say? Oh, I love those <laughs> analogies. Now, now, how do you feel when it's time to go through the editing process? Because you mentioned that you have this world that you 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 created, and you have the story in a set way. And now, when it's time to go through the editing process, somebody might start to butcher the story that you love and the the the, the writing that you started. And how do you differentiate from the professionalism that they're providing you to improve the work versus they're completely eradicating what story you created? Oh, geez, how long have you got? How, how long is this tape going to run? Oh, as long as you need. Listen, Nico, i got to say, you um, strike me as a very young man. <laughs> yes. I, I'll start at the beginning with this. First of all, I say I adore the editing process. Editing's okay. where you get the gold. And it's I've been a script editor for decades. I've sat on both sides of the table as a writer, as a script editor, working with the producer, working directly with the writer, being the writer, working with the... You know, it's a, a relationship that I've come to understand. But let me tell you about the first time I had a proper job in TV, which was a, a producer here, James Gatwood, who was head of Port Portman Productions, later head of Southern TV. Um, and my agent said, you know, James is one of the few people who give a writer, an unknown writer, a shot. And I had, I think, four or five scripts under my belt for Welsh television. And I'd done a few comedy shows and she pitched him to me and so i went to meet him and he said he said all right well we'll give you a go and it was um adapting a book i didn't know anything about stuff so i, I said to him james um said um do you have a particular house style that you want me to use or shall i just go with the way I, and he reached into bond and said oh no yeah here do this and so he gave me one of the other writers synopsis of another book that she had adopted and her script. I don't know, probably the first time I'd seen a proper half hour script and a proper synopsis. So I took those away and went, oh, that's how to do it, is it? <laughs> well, this is easy. I can do that. So right. I wrote the synopsis, took it back to, it was from a well-known children's book by a writer called Enid Blyton. It's a series called The Famous Five. And, um, I wrote the synopsis, took it back, and said, "Okay, yeah, yeah, that'll do. You know, you can you can, ha you can have the script, and um, you'll have to take three hundred pounds less than the other writers because you're unknown." It's still a big fee for me, but really, just I drove home from that going, "Oh, I just felt great." Now onto the editing. I finished the script as soon as I could, sent it mm -hmm. in to him, got the call. James would like to meet you on such and such a day. 
I go into his office and he's all very nice. He said, great job, very good, that's so nice. Um, all right, now for your notes. And I thought, notes? Well, was, give, somebody's giving me notes on my immortal words. <laughs> Down, down, down. So and he opened the page. It was one of those times when it, you know, like the, it had the cardboard cover with the cutout and the title. And turns it over, and the first page was just covered in blue ink. Things circled, lines, writing here, crosses out, things through that. It looked like the fucking Battle of the Somme. Am I allowed to swear? I'm sorry. Yeah, go for it. I just, I mean, and I just felt as if a velociraptor had reached into my stomach. And torn out my kidneys. I mean, it's, what, what is going on here? It's just horrendous invasion feeling into my work, my precious work, even though it's based on another novelist. Right. And I knew enough to shut the f up and just take your notes and and do it. And so it went through, and it's like fifteen minutes of agony going through thirty minutes, going through everything. Oof. So I just wrote everything down and said. Basically, yes or no, sir. Three bags full, sir. And so I sort of you know, tottered off home. This is the time I drove home going, and I got home and I thought, okay, well, you've got to do this. So I took the notes and I figured out what he wanted and I figured out what he was saying and I got the whole point that, okay, this is, look, these words aren't going to be mine when the actor says them. They're going to be the actors. Right. <laughs> it's a collaboration. Come on, Richard, get your get your head in the game. So I um, did the second draft, sent that in, got the call. James would like to see you tomorrow at three fifteen or whatever. Go in there. We the whole script. There were like six blue pencil notes in the entire thirty-page script. And boy, did I feel good going home after that. <laughs> said, I, I said, oh, I'll fix that. And then he gave me the rest of the series to write along with my. Um, the, the, Lady who became my partner in the in the second series, we did most of the scripts for that, and she became head of our writers' guild for twice. So it's an incredible education, but you just have to get over this idea that being edited is any kind of a problem. It's these people are there to help. And look, I I, I say to myself, and this is completely untrue, that there's no such mm -hmm. thing as a bad note, because of course there are bad notes, mm. but. The way to look at it is if you if somebody gives you a bad note, maybe you didn't explain it right. Maybe you didn't put it mm. in the way that they could understand it. This is a busy, busy studio executive. They need help to understand it. So you go back and you right. shape it in a way that they can understand. And you say, thank you for the great note. Look what I've done to it. And it's kind of the same thing you did before, but more accessible to them. And they very often they say, oh, yeah, that's great. No, that's fine. And they sign off on it. Uh, or, or or not. I mean, sometimes notes are fantastically helpful, and you go, God. And the, the notes that Leslie Robin has given me on New Rock, New Roll. I mean, I can't tell you. She's the best editor I've ever worked with, and that includes script editors. She is just so uh, enthusiastic and helpful, and encouraging the writer to do more rather than cut back and and, and do less and to control themselves. She's saying this. This thing here, you've got a really good thing going. Make more of this relationship between this guy and this inanimate object. That's a real character. You've started it. Go mm -hmm. further. And you go, yeah, that could be fun. And if you, you know, as an ignorant writer in that first meeting with James Gatwood, 
I didn't have that open-mindedness. I was defensive. Once you get right. over that, it's cool. It's totally cool. You go into a script meeting now, and and doesn't matter me. Doesn't bother me what they say about the script. I mean, compare that with how an actor feels. An actor goes into right. an audition, and you know they don't get the part, and it's and the, the you know the producers say what might say to their agent, well, I didn't like them. I mean, didn't like you with my with the mm. writing. So I didn't like your work. That's not so personal. So <laughs> think of that poor actor. You know, I didn't like you. He didn't like you. Jeez, that's got to hurt. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't like your writing. Okay, uh, well, I'll I'll try and do better then. But if you didn't like you, that's the end of your um, relationship with that project. I I have so much admiration for actors. I got to tell you. I'm, I'm, I have no idea how they stick at it. <laughs> would you ever would you ever provide advice for somebody that was interested in trying to embody a character of yours in case it ever did become into like a, a live action or anything like I've that? I've just done it. We, the launch party for the book is on Monday night. This is we're doing this on a Thursday. The, okay. the book's published next Tuesday on Monday night here in London. Uh, we're having the launch party and the publisher's going to join us by Zoom and just, it's just going to be a, a celebration for everyone. A lot of my old friends, a lot of press are coming. And uh, the PR people said, let's get some cosplay actors. I said, oh, that's great. What a good idea. And so they know these people. He's called Wolfgang with two O's. And um, he's going to play the lead, the, the heroic young battle mage that I, the narrator, became. We got an Australian orc and a, an Asian American actress playing the sword dancing third leg of the hero. And they're just going to, I've told them ad lib, you know, here's the mm -hmm. character, go and have fun, taunt each other. You know, these, these people are used to slagging each other off in, in flame wars in their earphones. <laughs> so, you know, journalists are quite often shy. So, Go up and talk to them and then start it start giving each other shit, you know talking smack to each other uh, and so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out yeah i was absolutely totally happy to give them this is the character off you go he's yours now hmm. now when you provide that kind of liberation to somebody do you ever feel like you are giving like somebody the access to modify certain things oh, about God, them yes. like they might they might feel a different way about well in this situation the character would have done this not that and would you be like well check off said i write one thing the actors write another thing together we make a play it didn't mean mm. that the actors write the dialogue it just means they create the part i've always said especially when i'm directing I always stress to the actors, look, acting is creative. It's not interpretative. I don't want you interpreting if it's my something I've written, my words, or Shakespeare, or whoever wrote the script. You know, it's yours now. Off you go. Create. And they love it. And they're, you know, there's an old saying among writers. Do you know how often actors save our backsides? <laughs> they really do. They make, they make silk purses out of sow's ears because quite often, in a series, for example, the series has run out of steam, run out of mm -hmm. ideas, and the actors just heroically 
keep it going and breathe magic into it I, I, look Johnny Carson said television is the only industry that eats its own young yeah but some of you one of his writers wrote it <laughs> hmm and it's we're all in it together that's actually pretty Isn't interesting and you know there's no you never want the audience looking through Nico to who is writing his words you don't want people right. looking at some actor thinking who wrote that you want them to be lost in the moment this guy on stage this character this person you don't even see him as an actor anymore you see him as the guy and it goes like this wow. and you're entranced and you don't think about who wrote it you're in the moment is that is that your writing process being so enthralled within that moment that you you're looking for those words that are describing that imagination oh, of yours completely. yeah when you trip out on the writing it's the best it's funny you know a lot of the times you're making up names in fantasy and when i can't think of the name i know i'm not doing it right when the name comes like that you go oh you know you've written a paragraph before you even notice how good the name is so yeah go right it, it doesn't always happen i, I wish it did it's often it's a struggle often it's a you have to, <sighs> philip pullman said um writer's block is for amateurs and inspiration is for amateurs and he means it well <laughs> but come on you know he says you've said you you said you're going to do your 500 words a day just sit down and mm -hmm. write them it's great yes thank you philip you're absolutely right it's up to you but i can add a little wrinkle to that which is if they're no good you can always throw them away tomorrow just write them just don't stress out about exactly. it. exactly something might come out of it if not at least you at least you did at least you did your work and then you go to bed relaxed and i did the writing and you wake up tomorrow and it was the day before yesterday I, I took the 500 pages words i'd written and there must be about less than 100 of them left i just this is all padding you don't need this get out get it out of the way get on with the story what what do you know get get it out of here <laughs> hmm. now do you ever feel like it's it's uh there's a time and uh in your life where it's too late to start a new hobby from gaming or writing or as soon as you have that that fire within you take charge and, and write as as long as you have that desire uh i i really wouldn't know about that i i've always been doing this but and i've always been um uh unsatisfied for a long time with how mm. i was doing i felt like a failure for a long time you know i had a few credits and i've done some things well, i created a television show in england that was the first one that i created and i was very disappointed in it it turned out weaker mm -hmm. than i'd hoped and that kind of broke my heart for a bit i was talking to the producer of it it was 40 years ago now talking to the producer of it you know this year and he's and i said it just put me off writing tv and he said oh i'm sorry to hear that it was, i mean we got two series out of it and I stepped right. away from writing the second season because I, I'd run out of enthusiasm. But they still paid me a, a fee for the script, so I'm hugely grateful. But you know, all that matters is doing good work. That was work that was at best mediocre, and, and that's disappointing. So you you know you <laughs> you learn from your failures, you learn from your successes. It's uh, no, I don't think it's ever too late. 
never it's never too late to start it's never too late to to um revisit uh, something you've tried before or to go off and try something else hmm. what would you say would be something that you wished that an older version of you spoke to a younger version of you oh yeah that's an interesting one um well i could I, th I think i'm not sure that taking advice from old people just because they're old is the wisdom of the ages is one thing but reinventing the wheel or coming up with new stuff is what really makes art live here's something that struck me the other day did you see the series wednesday Wednesday, yeah, yeah. i've heard of it well i never watch television i just it's like work but my wife said to me one day she said this you've got to see so okay. i sat down reluctantly i watched one episode i was completely blown away by it so then the next night you know again after dinner instead of going to work can we watch another one so we watched the second one and the next day was a saturday so we binge watched the rest of the series before lunch and i was completely blown away by it and what i thought was a lesson that i had from a writer called Jerry O'Hara, who was one of the writers on The Avengers in England. He must have been mm. 60 when I was in my 20s. I got to meet him through my agent and went and spent a very pleasant day talking to him, soaking up his wisdom. One of the things he said was, the trouble with young writers is um, they haven't lived. All they've done is watch TV. They didn't, you know, I was in the army in the Second World War, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, that's really interesting. And then I watched Wednesday and all the, the standard of writing was so high. I was just thrilled and impressed. And I thought Jerry was completely wrong because these writers, they're probably 20s, 30s, maybe 40s, I don't know. They've had a lifetime's education in masterpiece television. They've been brought up mm. with the great television of the last two, three decades. They're, they're completely soaked in how good it can be. So by the time right. they get into the into the into the industry, they're very good indeed. And the script writing in, in Wednesday was just I mean so laudable. I was I was blown away. I can't wait for the next season. So don't take advice from old people. Go, you know, I don't know. Go and just go and reinvent the wheel, please. <laughs> No, that that is great. That is great. And uh, I guess I'll wrap it up with with this last one question. If you could, if you could actually, let's say a younger, a younger writer who has that self-doubt, who is looking at all these masterpieces and saying, I could never write any of that i could never publish any of that if i if i wrote something no publisher would give me the time of day what would you give them as an advice for how um they should go about it whether they should you know try to go to different networking events or whether they should just hone yeah. their writing skills what would you say would uh be their best bet in ter terms of what they need to do that's an excellent question the way you started it off i was going to say well if you if you think you'll never do that then don't even try you know there's just mm. you may want to be a writer but it might just be a fantasy like some people want to be actors and then they grow out of it 
that's a very glib answer I would have given until you asked the second part of your question, what should they do about it? You know, I, I was condemning that young writer without giving him a fair chance or her a fair chance. This is somebody, I presume, who longs to write. To be a writer is irrelevant. You want to be a writer, write. They just want to do it. They maybe don't know how. They maybe don't know where. They may, they may be unsure of what direction to go in. They may not be lucky enough to find their bliss, as I've found as a writer. And I'm not, I'm nearly 29. You know, this is, <laughs> takes, took a while. That was a joke. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, good timing. So uh, they should definitely do everything they can in comedy, in, in um, networking. They should go and meet people and don't be shy. I have a friend, uh, John McEwen, who's the banjo player of the Nitty Gritty, well, guitar player, fiddler of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. And every time he plays in Los Angeles, he has this great line. He says, I've got lots of friends in Hollywood. Some of them I haven't even used yet. <laughs> Always gets a big laugh. Use everybody. You don't have to exploit them. Just go up to them and say, right. "Hey, you know, I'd love to hear this, or, or uh, what would you do, or um, tell them what you're writing, or I loved your last um, book or TV show or whatever." Just meet people, and four or five of them will just brush you off, and the fifth will be a friend for life. So yes, you have to get off your backside. You can't just sit in a room and and be a writer all by yourself. Because if you're doing that, you're really missing a trick. That's what I did for a long time, as I'm not very good at it, at networking, until I learned from my New York wife how to how to um, how to just get up, you know don't wait to be introduced to people. Go up and introduce yourself. Okay. Hey, hello, I'm Julie, from an Oscar-winning actress to an unknown bloke in a in a hello, I'm Julie. Go and do that to people, and um, that that. You know, it's a, it's a it's a it's a community. It's a collaboration. Mm -hmm. If you're writing scripts or video games or or musicals, go and meet the actors. Go to plays afterwards. Go and talk to the actors and the you know, fringe theatre. Uh, what do you call it? Um, um, you know, the hundred seat theatre in America, off Broadway, off 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 Broadway. And some of the people wow, in yeah. that will be just like you are struggling and in work that might be brilliant or might be. Um, you know, part good, part less good. Go and talk to them and discuss the work. And, you know, always be polite. Don't say, you know, you were crap in this play and it was, the play was good apart from you. Go and say, <laughs> that, that wouldn't get you anywhere. So be, be, um, be enthusiastic uh, and uh, get out of your shell. Uh, it wasn't easy for me to do that, but mm -hmm. um, if you can, you, you know, you, you really will make some uh, strides in your own work. And you might find a writing partner. Mm. That's great. You know, if you're doing script writing, to have a writing partner is, ooh, oh, yeah, you really get motoring. Do you know who Douglas Adams was? No, I can pull it up right now. He wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books. Very, very famous uh, and... Uh, extremely great writer, died far too young. Um, but he, you know, he he regularly got stuck. And at one point, his friend, my friend John Lloyd, who's a, a great comedy producer, came in and helped him write the last two scripts in the radio series that 
was originally Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was a radio series from the BBC. And John and Douglas sat down and knocked out the last two scripts in two weeks. Really helped Douglas to get his work over the line. So wow. <clears throat> other people will be happy to help if you strike a chord with them. Um, I was, I'm lucky enough to be the, the writing partner of uh, Lee Holdridge, a multi-Emmy winning composer. And it's just great creating songs and works with somebody that, that good. Um, so yeah, other people are an important part of it. Wow, that is so impactful. That's so amazing. Sheesh. Wow, that that's. Well, I, 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 wish I, I blame the beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's ten o'clock here in London. Uh, oh my goodness! Thank you so I mean, much. I could be in the pub instead of sitting here to you yakking to you. I know. I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say you, this is the. Are you a writer? Do you write, or are you a gamer, or an actor, or? A, Musician uh, or I do a little bit of everything. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I do, I do, I do podcasting. I love the ability to extrapolate information from others. Yeah. I always feel like listening to somebody explain their writing process, explain their passions, explain what turns their motors on, what really truly inspires them, where the muse comes from. It enables me to tap into and almost really feel. Oh, you frozen. Like in the oh. beginning of the interview, your, your world. Oh, can you describing how you came up with uh, your book and how you were still, I could still see that you were living. I do have some uh, sci-fi books um, and, it, and it was something that came to me and I wrote it just on a whim and when i speak to other individuals and i get your writing process it really humbles me to understand how you're supposed to be doing it in terms of the writing aspect in terms of the networking aspect um but as mentioned i do a little bit of everything because i just can't sit still i always <laughs> have to i always have to be doing something which is why i love the concept of gaming or gamification yeah. and i love the the concept that you gave about um how war generals play how they really strategize i thought you were going to say chess going to say oh yeah of course chess that's how they strategize that's how they uh, symbolically use their strategies and they can counter themselves and whatnot um but yeah i i truly love the fact that you uh were able to explain so much of your rich history uh so much of where you come from uh where you got your writing prowess from as well as the fact that you're just in england for for visiting for your book that is amazing because a lot of people don't understand how powerful words are how much information can actually change people's lives as well as how one conversation has the power to go from you know what i'm just writing for fun to i'm writing for a whole tv like that one conversation has that power that magnitude and I just really am grateful for your incredible journey and for you expressing that. Um, everybody, if you liked any of this content, please make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Make sure to check out richardsparks.com as well as his book and any of his nonfiction books as well, not just his fiction, as well as his nonfiction. Um, but Richard, last but not least, let everybody know once again, your favorite part of the writing process, because. I'm going to try to get as much from you as possible because I love the passion that you have. 
the favorite part is when you're flying mm. when you're really when you're getting going i mean a lot of experience writing dialogue and so i love the dialogue heavy scenes when the characters are just you know beating the crap out of each other and things are, and you know things are going wrong and uh, yeah it's 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 a real joy to just to be just to be allowed to do this and mm. when it sometimes you you know i write at night so i might be sitting there, i might be messing around on youtube watching cat videos or Billy Strings, who's my new hero, who's God's gift to this world and with his music. Or, um, you know, watching clips of news. And it's 10 o'clock and I haven't done my words yet. I haven't done anything yet. And then you think, I oh, can't, I've got to get on with it. And then you look at the, the thing where you are and you go, oh, God, you know, ah, kind of there yet. And then you start writing and then suddenly something clicks. Hmm. And instead of writing 500 words, you've written 1,200. 1800 the worst time is when you write 387 you go oh god i still got 123 to go (laughs) (laughs) well then you do that and you fall over the line and of course it's just a draft you knock it into shape later Uh, but uh, yeah it's nice when it takes off uh, because a lot of the time you're just running along the runway (laughs) trying to catch a wind right Um, yeah that's the best part is when you're when you're flying and when something happens, it's you go, oh, that's really funny. That's great. I, I was staying with my sister when I was writing the first book. And I, I said, look, I'm going to be busy. So I had to have time each morning. I was really flying. And I came to one bit, and I just started laughing my head off. And she said, are you laughing at your own jokes? <laughs> and I said, look, if I, if I don't find it funny, no one else is going to. <laughs> exactly. I'm not being self-congratulatory. This situation it just makes me laugh right he goes oh, all right and i said just oh, shut up and then like you know half an hour later i'd finish and we go out and have lunch but, <laughs> but when yeah when it when it makes you laugh when you're doing it that's oof, that's that's really something oh no i truly thank you so much uh, for providing all our gamers the audience the ability to comprehend that extraordinary journey and the insight that you have uh, in a gamer's guide to productivity. Everybody, if you like and comment, just please be aware that this support is going to fuel the podcast. Remember, the more that we share, the more that we learn. So until next time, keep dreaming big, keep gaming strong, keep pushing those boundaries and finding the balance between gaming and productivity. This is Nico Pinging signing off from a gamer's guide to productivity. Thank you so much once again, Richard. Okay. Oh, thank you for having me, Nico.